Welcome to Employed, a podcast about careers from minimum wage to six figure incomes, high school diplomas to PhDs. You'll hear stories from different professionals, their everyday work life, and what it took to get there. Whether you're at a point of having to make a career choice or you simply like to hear what others are passionate about, Employed is about the workers who make up our nation's economy. I'm Allie, and today we are talking about cybersecurity in the Air Force. The military is a pretty good route in general. If you don't have direction, the Air Force will find it for you. Today, we are joined by Evan here in San Antonio. So Evan, can you introduce yourself and tell me about what you do? Absolutely, and uh, thanks for having me. So I am a cyber warfare operator, and I am a member of the United States Air Force. So I've been in the military for nine years, and I've been in San Antonio for the last two and a half years. So I've gone around quite a bit, but currently we're doing operations center cyber warfare ops, and we'll go into detail on that in a little bit. But um, that's the gist of my job description, what I do. Did you always know that you wanted to go into that field? Is that something that you had always thought about, or was it kind of a recent thing? Absolutely not. So Actually, when I was in high school, I didn't know anything about the military. We had recruiters that would show up to our cafeteria and hand out frisbees, and make people do pull-ups and stuff like that. But I wasn't um, enticed by any of that at the time. Kind of the, the recipe for post-high school life where I'm from was to graduate and go to college and find a job. And so that was kind of the avenue that I was planning on going down. It definitely wasn't something that I initially thought about doing. And then in terms of now in cybersecurity is, is generally what you would call it in civilian world is pretty far from, I was pretty computer savvy, but I didn't think that, that it would be what I'd be doing 10 years down the road. So definitely took hard left in the path of life to get to where I'm at now. Yeah. And I'm sure this field cybersecurity is just growing compared to 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Yeah, for sure. I think. At the time, I, computers were fun and interesting, and I think I took a web design class. And it's interesting being really into just general computer sciences, whether it was more graphical or artistic, and then learning about it more in depth 10 years later, the differences are insane. It's, it's a huge leap in terms of what we're capable of doing. And definitely when we're talking about security, what things that we're seeing from adversaries or from just general people causing nuisance on the internet. Well, I'm excited to learn more. Can you tell me what level of education was required and uh, the experience that was needed for your position? Yeah, so this is um, kind of a two-part answer. So I am enlisted in the U.S. Air Force. So someone who's enlisted does not need to have a post uh, any kind of college degree, you do have to have a high school diploma. Coming in enlisted, it's educationally very, very minimal. What I do now is actually something that you have to cross into in your military career. So I had to acquire a civilian certification through a company called CompTIA. And anybody who's familiar with cybersecurity certifications or qualifications will be familiar with those tests. It also required me to have a little bit of experience. And there's a fairly selective process. There's a term in the Air Force called the whole airman concept. And so when you interview for a special duty or a specific job, they look at who you are as the the whole airman. So that includes like volunteering, that includes what 
efforts you've made towards schooling. And so when I was accepted, I had achieved a certain level of success in my prior career field, and I had a few accolades here and there prior experience. And so when I was selected, I had to go through a series of training. And the Air Force is interesting because kind of in contrast to the civilian world, if you are required to have any specific or very particular set of knowledge, oftentimes they'll find the right person character-wise, and then they will train you to do the job. And so that's kind of the process. Now that I'm in, I have two civilian cyber certifications, and they sent me to about a year's worth of schooling to learn what I do now. Primarily, it's being that whole airman concept that I that I mentioned before, because the educational requirements initially are, are really fairly basic. And did you just finish your bachelor's degree or are you finishing up? I just finished it probably two weeks ago. Congratulations. Thank you. And is that something that is going to be used for your current job or is that for a future plan? When you're in the military, this goes for all branches, I'm sure. There's always two definitive parts of what you're doing. And part of that is your day-to-day job and part of that is being part of the military. And one thing that I found is that in the military, there's a really unique sense of camaraderie and team and working with an organization that's much bigger than yourself. And so one thing that I found was that I really enjoyed the leadership aspects and the team building. And so my degree is actually in strategic leadership. And so yet the answer to your question is yes, it does assist with career progression. So ranks are obviously a thing in the military. And when you start getting into the senior enlisted is what it's called. So a senior non-commissioned officer role, they start looking into what you've acquired educationally outside of military education. So that would include bachelor's degrees, some people are pursuing masters, so on and so forth. So I got it because it's something that I wanted to achieve and it will play a part in possibly ranking up in the future in terms of like my military career. And that also opens up opportunities like commissioning as an officer, so on and so forth. It definitely helps in expanding your career options down the road. Did the military assist in paying for your tuition? Yeah, for sure. I have paid zero dollars towards my certifications, towards my bachelor's degree, towards any work experience, so on and so forth. So that bachelor's degree is 100% paid for. What are the demographics of your field? What is the percentage of males versus females on average and the age ranges that you see? So I think in my career field, it's probably less than, if I had to guess a number, I would say it's 15% female to male. And there are two contributing factors to that. One is that the military is predominantly male. It's actually, I came in 10 years ago, roughly, and it used to be much more lopsided than it is now. I think now it's about one out of every four in the Air Force. And I think when I came in, it was closer to like one out of every six. And so some career fields tend to gravitate more male to female ratio than others. And this is actually reflected in the civilian world as well. So I think that really low percentage is a combination of those factors. In the civilian world, about, I think it's about 25% of the workforce in cybersecurity is female. And so that compound with the fact that it's a military organization, it's fairly low. Out of the 30 people who work in the division that I work in, three of them are female, exactly 10% where I work. I think it's roughly the same across the Air Force. And then what about age ranges? So typically, 
it's going to be early 20s. So I would say probably about 22 to 35 is on average of age of the people that I work with. And that's for, again, two reasons. The military people typically get out before their 30s. And then the amount of training that it takes to get to where I'm at usually means that even if you enlist after you're in high school, you probably won't be entering or doing specifically what I do until probably 21, 22. So it's definitely what I would say a millennial generation. Some people are are a little bit older than that, but typically that's what you're looking at. Not so much because of the interest, but just because of the timing of it all. Yeah, it's, it's definitely timing. And then in the civilian world, it actually reflects similarly for a different reason. I think computer, any kind of computer skill is kind of a young man's game right now. I think that in the civilian world, it, it'll definitely reflect that. Sure, that makes sense. For the next one, salary, if you are not comfortable at saying specifically, you can just kind of give a range of everybody in your office. The military pay scale is public information. So I always tell people that whenever they, I can tell that they're dancing around like, oh, well, do you, is it lucrative or what do you do? You can generally find good information on any job within the Air Force. And the first factor is going to be your rank. So your rank determines your pay brackets. And then also a factor of how you're being paid is how long you've been in. So your whole career will kind of act as a ladder with both how long you've been in and what your rank is at the time. So as long as you're progressing, your, your pay will go up. The promotion structure is very straightforward. It's very transparent. But at my level and with what I do, also considering that it's a special duty, someone should expect to make somewhere around sixty to $70,000 annually. And the reason there's such a wide range there, even though there's some pretty finite factors, is because the military does take into account where you're living. So it's called a basic allowance for housing. So if you live in San Francisco, your BAH is going to be much higher than if you live in Tennessee or here in Texas or wherever else, somewhere with a much lower cost of living. So that's that's going to be a factor. And then also of note, the military does make a lot of effort in certain career fields to retain their people. And so again, I have a special duty bonus because there's only a thousand of us roughly in the Air Force as a whole. And it takes a lot of effort to get people into this career field. So they try to retain them. And then they also have a reenlistment bonus since the Air Force and every military branch kind of exists on a contract type basis uh, or an enlistment. Near the end of your enlistment, you can check to see if your career field has a selective reenlistment bonus. And some of those can be really, really high. Tell me about the benefits. Um, Okay, so first, I think the retirement is better than any other system. For a number of reasons. A, because if I chose to get out at the earliest retirement age, so after being in for 20 years, I would be 40 years old when I retire. And it's a, you would compare it to like a civilian pension. Pension jobs in the civilian world are, they're not non-existent, but they're going away. In the military, you are guaranteed if you do 20 years of honorable service to get out and be able to collect a portion of your, your paycheck, which is really cool. And so someone who plans to get out after the minimum, so for 20 years, will, will be able to take 50% of what they were getting paid at 20 years for the rest of their life. So every year after that is 2.5%. So somebody who's in for 30 years will retain 75% of what they were getting paid. And then if you're an officer, you can go up to 40. Pretty rare, but it's possible. You will retain 100% of what you were paid when you retire. That's really amazing. And 
if you retire at 40, then you have plenty of time for a second career and for leveraging the skill set that you have into another industry, right. which is really cool. So on top of that, we discussed this prior, but the educational benefits, they give you, it's $4,500 a year for tuition. Most universities will have a discounted rate for military members, uh, like cost per credit. And then on top of that, you are likely going to school part-time. So I was taking, I think it was six to eight courses a year for a few years. And I was able to never go over that amount. So like I said, I never paid a dime for any semester hours the whole time I was going to school. And they also have a one-time kind of lump sum for any kind of certification that you want to get that's relevant to your job. So if I wanted to go out and get some cyber-related certification or computer-related certification, I could go do that and if Air Force would pay for it. So those, those are two, two ways that you can kind of use funds that the Air Force provides. And then for healthcare, that again is something that not a lot of people think about when they first get in, just like retirement. It's kind of not really in the forefront, but I constantly am pitching to people who are debating going into any kind of uh, branch of service. There's no feeling like having a medical emergency and then going in the hospital and literally not worrying about paying for it. And again, for young people, that might not be at the forefront of their minds, but let's say five, 10 years down the road, you might have a family or even if it's yourself, if you have any kind of medical situation, that can get dicey real quick mm -hmm. um, financially. So uh, I've been in nine years. We've had to have two childbirths. We've had a couple of emergencies bringing those kids into the hospital. And even my wife had to go once or twice and not, not a dime was spent on our end. So again, that's hard to portray how important that is to someone who's young, but that's a really amazing benefit to have. Also, something I like to mention or poke fun at is if you need to figure some stuff out with your own life, like I certainly did, I, I was not great at being a civilian. The military kind of does a lot of things for you and they kind of do the adulting for you is what I usually <laughs> say. So I haven't scheduled a dental appointment in nine years because the military system automatically notifies you when and where to be. Or when you do an, your annual doctor's checkup, it'll tell you when and where to go or when your shots are due. So if you're a poor decision maker, the Air Force or the military is uh, a good spot to be. But yeah, the, the medical benefits are, I'd say, unparalleled because you're, you're literally not paying for any of it. And I think those are the general things. I think one last note on benefits is, especially in uncertain times, the job security that's involved with it. It literally takes uh, a congressional act to stop me from working. So I've been in the military for long enough now to have a couple of economic downturns. And I've had people who unfortunately have lost their jobs or have had some uncertainty or had their hours cut back. And I have not had to worry about that a single time. My, my contract had a few more years on it. So I will you know, I haven't been worried about that kind of thing. And that's, that's hard to find as well. How does housing work through the military? Because I know that some people live on base, some people don't. Yeah, good question. So I lived overseas for six years. So when you're overseas, it's very simple. They look at your rank and they say, for example, you're given a thousand British pounds to go find a place. And you find a place that's under a thousand British pounds, and then they will pay for it regardless of what it costs. You can choose to go to somewhere over that, 
but you will pay the difference. So when I lived overseas, I always found a place to live in that was underneath that threshold. And so I never had to pay for my rent, basically. Stateside, it's a little bit different. You can really take advantage of the system in a positive way, like financially, meaning they will give you, so for a staff sergeant in San Antonio, you are allotted, I think it's $1,700 right now for housing. And and for those who don't know, that's plenty for um, someone with a couple of kids. They, yeah, they give you an amount, and that amount adjusts every year, depending on what the housing market in where you're living at looks like. So yeah, that's plenty here in San Antonio. And whatever you don't use, let's say your mortgage, let's say you buy a house and your mortgage is $1,200 and you're given $1,700, you can do whatever you want with that $500. So what a lot of people like to do is they like to find one that's substantially under their housing allowance. And then that way, if they have a high water bill or electric bill, then their housing allowance will cover all of it. Or if you're single, you can find roommates and pay way less than what you're allotted and pocket the rest. So that's also another really awesome benefit, especially stateside, is that you can take advantage of that money no matter how you want. And the Air Force doesn't care how you do it. It's it's your money to use. So, Do you get time off? You are allotted two and a half days per month that will accrue over time. So any year you'll accrue 30 days of leave. You can use those however and whenever you want, as long as it doesn't conflict with the mission long as there's enough people to cover for you and so on and so forth. Where I work now, it's as easy as being like, hey, is anybody plan on leaving around this time? Okay, great. I'm going to go then. So yeah, that's how leave works. Also of note is you'll get all like holidays, federal holidays. And sometimes like if you're overseas, like we would get bank holidays is what they're called. So we would, we would also You'd observe both countries holidays. Correct. How is your progress measured and who are you managed by? Every year we have something called an enlisted performance report. It is always a very hot topic when it comes time to have them do. So there is a point system associated with that. And that EPR is going to reflect how you measure up against your peers. So I will be measured up against everybody else that is my same rank. So all the other staff sergeants that I work with in my vicinity and who do the same job as I do will be rack and stack is what it's called, but they'll be basically put in a list and they'll determine who is more deserving of higher grades, basically. So the way that that's determined is 15% of the people can get the more favorable ranks. Five of them get the most favorable, and then 10% of them get the second most favorable. And then the everybody else is somewhere among average, basically. That matters because in the military, we have a rank system. And If you, let's say you're motivated by money or by leadership potential or moving up in general, you want to promote. So the things that you can do to get a more favorable rating on your EPR are things like volunteer hours, are things like schooling, knowing your job better than your peers around you. And so it it's fairly similar to what someone would do in the civilian world in terms of like job performance. That's probably... Depending on where you're at, that's probably the most looked at portion is how you perform at your job. But again, what we discussed earlier, that key phrase, the whole airman concept, that's definitely when it comes into play is when you're looking at the performance report. So things that people can do are like taking time to learn more about their job. So like in cyber, for instance, a lot of people go and learn skills from other 
either sections within our workplace or even from civilian training, and then they'll be able to implement them into our work center. All sorts of contributing factors, but that whole airman concept basically being that you're great at your job, you're benefiting others, you're a good team player, so on and so forth. Those are all things that can help kind of move you up that chain, help you get promoted, and then put you in positions where you have more decision-making power, et cetera. The Air Force has gone through measures to try to find a system that can capture the best person to promote to the next rank, so on and so forth. It's not a perfect system, but I think that, again, another thing that's good about the military is everything is very clear. Like, I know exactly what it takes to get to the next rank. If I see a senior leader in my workplace, I can clearly see what it took for them to get in that position. And that's something that I can harness and replicate in my own way, in my own work center kind of thing. What are your work hours pre-COVID? I know things have kind of changed a little bit these last few months. In the Air Force for cyber operations, typically people are going to maintain a Monday through Friday, nine to five kind of presence. But I work and many other agencies in the Air Force work a 24-hour operation schedule because since we're a global organization, basically, there's things that are happening 24-7. So I work on a rotating shift. I'll take three months where I work five eight-hour shifts, and then people will be on a weekend crew. So they'll work Friday through Monday with like 12-hour shifts. There are people who work in hospitals or as personnelists or doing like legal work and their jobs are very Monday through Friday, nine to five. But I've always worked in a 24 hour operations um, environment. And so I've worked six months straight from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. every other day. But for the most part, if you're in a cyber job in the Air Force, you should expect about a 40 hour week work week. The hours just might be a little strange. Can you walk me through an average day at your job from the time you arrive to the time you leave? Sure. So like if I go in on Monday, what I'm going to be doing is initially getting changeover from the previous crew. Since somebody has been working through the night, they're going to keep you up to date with what's been going on. Typically at six in the morning, it's going to be just general pass-ons from the prior shift, but they're going to kind of keep you up to date with what's been going on. So what, what, I'm, what we're generally dealing with is cybersecurity threats to any Air Force asset. So that could mean a malicious file found on a computer, or it could be an email that's like a phishing email that's directed towards higher level leadership, things like that. So they'll pass on any information that still needs to be solved or it still needs to be tasked. I'll look at a general report or list of items or missions that we have currently going to get spun up on what's going on. And then I immediately, since I do work at an operations center, I immediately have to start preparing for a morning brief. One thing about the military is people like information. And so there's a lot of briefs, especially when you're in intelligence or information gathering. And so um, by 8.30, I have to be ready to present a brief to our commander. So in general, your commander is the most important person or close to the most important person in your squadron or section or whatever it is. And so some people can find that to be intimidating or kind of high pressure. It's on a kind of a stadium seating type floor. Could be in front of up to 50 to 100 people if there's a lot of visitors. After that, what we do is we monitor and acknowledge and assess any cybersecurity incidents that come in. And then we task 
appropriate subject matter experts that are in other units, whether they're here in San Antonio or across the world. The place that I do work does require clearance, but kind of what I described is a pretty good example. If there's an Air Force system that has a malicious threat of any kind, whether it's someone creating a backdoor into an information system or simply, again, sending an email that is trying to get someone to click on a link that's going to take them somewhere where they can harvest their information, we'll take that and then we'll figure out how to stop that from happening or we'll figure out who to contact in order to shut that system off to get it into an environment where we can assess what's going on and then get it to the right people. So that could mean reverse engineering it for people who are really interested in programming or creating signatures to deter it from happening in the future. And then when we get that information, we pass it to the people who can use it. So sometimes that's like really big companies, like could be even like Microsoft or any other company that we work with. When we get information about a way to prevent something from happening, we pass it on to people who need it. Could be other three-letter agencies, meaning like NSA, FBI, CIA, so on and so forth, or other military branches. So that happens throughout the day, pretty much the entire the entirety of the shift. What that looks like is a lot of phone calls, a lot of running around, talking to the right people. And for the most part, it is not necessarily calm, but it's just a lot of problem solving. So it's a lot of outside the box thinking. A common thing that you'll hear in terms of threats is a zero day. So a zero day is something that's never been seen before. So when things ha happen like that, it's it can get really, I don't want to say fun because it can get scary sometimes, but it's fun to work with people to decide how to figure that out, how to triage that, to get that figured out and get it solved. So that's kind of what happens. The tempo can be anywhere from consistent to really exciting, I guess. That's one good thing about my job is that we see what everybody else is doing to fight the threat. And we get we get to kind of get a good look at what's going on across the Air Force, and what's out there. And then another interesting factor that people might be curious about is that since we are able to do our job remotely, deployments don't usually occur like you would think traditionally. Sure. So we aren't deploying to Iraq and Afghanistan would be kind of the cliche, unless there's a very specific instance where we need to be on something physically. How often do you interact with other people in general versus how often do you work by yourself? So I pretty much exclusively work with a team. So I have a four-man team. At least two of us are working in a row at a time. And my team is specifically worried about defensive operations. So there is kind of a cool symbiotic relationship that we have with other entities within our squadron and also Air Force wide. And so there's a lot of like kind of networking involved with reaching out to those people. So you get to talk to and meet a lot of interesting folks. And that could include people from, as I mentioned before, like other three-letter agencies like the NSA at the FBI or other investigative agencies. But in general, you're never working alone. You're always going to be in a team type environment. And that's pretty consistent across all Air Force jobs. Unless you're like working the graveyard shift and you're just keeping the lights on, there's not very many jobs like that. That would be the only exception, but I typically work in a four-man team. I'm, I'm always working in a team environment. What is the best day you've had at your job when you came home and felt extremely happy or accomplished or satisfied? There's a lot of times that I walk into work and I can already tell based on the previous day's work that it's going to be overwhelming. There's going to be a lot of things going on. So I've had many days like that, but it's just nice to be able to have 
kind of an overwhelming sense of, of what's going on and then being able to systematically accomplish tasks. And again, I like that teamwork aspect. And so a lot of times that's becoming a subject matter expert on something and then finding new and interesting people that can help you solve the problem. And so I've had a couple of days in particular where I get to talk to new and exciting people because we can't figure it out on our own where we're at. And so I've had a couple of days where I've had multiple kind of a domino effect of successes just based on kind of getting momentum rolling. I think one thing that's really good about the environment I'm in is that when the ball gets rolling, it's really kind of contagious. And so a lot of people like to hop in and contribute and kind of get things fixed. A lot of what we're doing is trying to basically get things off of a list, which in itself sounds boring. But when those things are vital to national security, it can be rewarding to get those things solved quickly. So there's been a few days where and the list is never really zero, but you can get a lot of those things handled and tackled. And then in, in doing so, get to talk to a lot of different people who are excited about the progress you're making. What's the worst day you've had at work or what are some big challenges that someone might face who's in your position? So that's a tough one. So one thing about our job is that we get to see everything. And so an unfortunate factor of the military is that people are put in harm's way. And so just being constantly aware of if that's the case or not can sometimes be a a little overwhelming. I think that's kind of, that's a general militaryism. But specifically where I work, you know, you could be monitoring people who are in a very dicey situation. And if that dicey situation goes south, it's not a good feeling. That happens less and less based on kind of how the military is doing operations right now. But it still happens from time to time. And so even if we're doing everything right, sometimes it can kind of be hard to kind of let go of situations that don't go as planned. But that can be one of the tougher factors of being in any military job. What is the weirdest or oddest, funniest experience you've had at work that's just kind of out of the norm? There's kind of a running joke especially where I'm at, that so many people were worried about briefings that it gets silly to a certain point. And so we have, the military likes to do these things called exercises, which are fake war, basically. And it gets really extreme and they they throw these things at you that are really off the wall so that if those things do happen or anything less than it or more than it is, you know, not as big of a deal, you, you know how to handle it. And so, like I said before, we prepare for a brief in the morning And during the exercise, they like to kind of change things up. And so they said, okay, we're actually going to have a brief an hour early. We were like, okay, got it. That's whatever. That's fine. And then they said, okay, but we want to make sure you guys have the right information. So there's going to be a meeting before 30 minutes prior. And we were like, okay, whatever. We were all kind of like, dude, when is this going to end? And then someone came to us after that person left and said, hey, I want to see your guys' slides and what you're going to brief 15 minutes before that meeting. And we were like, okay, you know, like, (laughs) what? And then someone else after that was like, hey, I want to make sure you guys are addressing the right thing. So let's review yesterday's brief. So it became this thing that throughout the day, we kept on asking each other, like, hey, do you have the briefing slides for the pre-brief brief? It was like all these briefs on top of each other. And at first it was annoying, but then it just became comical after that. One thing in the civilian world is like an assessment of how valuable meetings are. But military did not get that information. You know, you really did touch on a lot of this when you were talking about the benefits. But what is the 
end goal for someone like you? Again, another good thing about the military is there's a lot of different ways to go. So someone in my position might want to move laterally into something that's more in line with what they want to do in cybersecurity. So a good example is I have coworkers who took a lot of their extra time and learned skills that are complementary to doing offensive cyber operations. For the people in my career field, that's kind of like the kind of viewed as as like the elite job. You could call it hacking. That's not exactly what we're doing, but that's the closest civilian comp that I could use for what, what it actually is. And so people get really excited about that kind of job opportunity. And so some people want to do that. And we have three people from my unit, unit actually one of our females. So that, that number of three is about to go down to two. They left to go to another unit that does offensive cyber operations. Some people, and this is more where I align, are interested in the leadership aspects of the military. And so they can do that in a number of ways, whether it's just promoting as an enlisted individual, or you could also commission, like we touched on before, becoming an officer is primarily focused on the leadership aspects of the military more so than the technical aspects. And so that's another route that people can go. I think for me personally, it's important to always remember that the military has been a huge benefit in my own life. And so a lot of people don't feel this way, but I feel like almost like an indebtedness to it, to kind of the opportunities that I've been given. And I also feel like a lot of people kind of miss that a little bit. And so I've interacted with some really great leaders in my career and they've inspired me to do different things. And so that's kind of what I want to do for other people. So whether that's staying in as enlisted until until whenever I think I'm done, I don't know if that's going to be at my 20 year mark or if that's going to be at 30, but I think I'm more likely to stay in the Air Force long term because the environment is just conducive to how I am and how I work. And so, yeah, there's a lot of different ways you can go, whether it's gaining a really cool technical skill set, or some people just want to get into a position where they can learn skills that they can use in the civilian world when they get out. I work with a lot of people who, even though they have super cool Air Force job, they want to leverage those skills and go into the civilian sector. There's a lot of different ways you can go. The military gives you a pretty good jump off point for a lot of those things. It really paves the way for an infinite amount of opportunities elsewhere. For sure. So if you could be doing anything else for a living and you didn't have to worry about going back to school or taking a salary cut, what would you be doing? So I think about this a lot because again, I could potentially be in a situation where I'm 40 and I have to find a new career. But if nothing mattered, money didn't matter, I would open a board game shop, which also has like a little wing with like records because I also like vinyl and records and stuff. Or I think coaching could be sports. I mean, I played sports growing up, but something related to inspiring people to meet a common goal or objective. Again, that's one of the big things that I've taken away from the military is there's no one right way to get a team to do a task, but figuring out what the best way is takes a level of skill. And that's something that I like trying to figure out. And um, I find really rewarding. One thing that I would recommend to everyone, even if you have your mindset on a singular branch of the military, go to every recruiter. It's always good to look at all of your options and figure out a lot of times those recruiting stations will have all the branches in one. So go find a recruiter and then double check what he tells you. Any other information that I that you feel like is important or that you want to share? 
I think for someone who is a lot like me when I was first debating coming in, the military is really an option. I was trying a lot of different things. I went to college. I dropped out. I worked for a while. I moved to four different states in the span of a year. I did all sorts of stuff before I came to the military. And I just figured out at a certain point that honestly, I just needed something that would tell me what to do, give me a good direction. And that would be good for me. I mean, there's very little bad you can do coming in the military in terms of the scope of your job. And so it was a great opportunity for me to just reset and be on, you come in and you're the exact same level as everyone around you. There's no more even or fair workplace than when you're in basic training and everybody's the exact same rank. Everybody has the exact same amount or lack of responsibility. And it was an excellent opportunity for me at the time. And even though I didn't know everything about the military when I joined, I now know later on that it was a really amazing opportunity for me. And uh, I think for someone who is interested in any of the specific jobs at the Air Force or any of the branches that that can provide that uh, the military is a pretty good route in general. If you don't have direction, the Air Force will find it for you. A big thank you to Evan for donating his time to the show and to Evan and all our military members. Thank you for your service. Thanks for listening.